Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician here at the RCH, and I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by Dr Lexi Frydenberg. Thanks, Anthea. On today's episode, we are joined by Associate Professor Sebastian King, surgeon at the Royal Children's Hospital, who specialises in bowel problems. And today we're going to be chatting about constipation and why sometimes the poo just doesn't move. Welcome, Sebastian. Thanks for having me. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast. Constipation really is actually quite common in kids. It's amazing how often they seem to have trouble doing a poo. Can you begin by telling us a bit about exactly what it is and why this does happen? So constipation, as you said, is common and uh, affects anywhere between 3 and 30% of children at some stage during their childhood. So that's really important for families to realise that, you know, if you've got three children, that one of those children might be affected by constipation. Absolutely. And constipation, the problem is that there are lots of different definitions of it. But the way that I think about it is that it's those children that have difficulty going to the toilet, they have difficulty passing their poos, they have problems that might be associated with not being able to do enough poo and so therefore feeling full or it might be that they're not going to the toilet regularly enough. And so most children will go to the toilet every day to every second day but if your child's going every third or fourth or fifth day then all of a sudden that can create problems. Okay, so you've got to keep a bit of an eye on how much poo your kid's doing to have an idea of what's going on. Yeah, and that's and that's challenging because, you know, I've got three children of my own and, you know, many times you sort of think, well, I don't know when that child, that particular child's gone to the toilet last. And so often it's hard in the um, consultations when you say, well, how often is your child going to the toilet and all of a sudden the parents will look at each other and they'll look at the child and nobody quite knows. They just know that it doesn't seem to be as frequently as it should be. And let's be honest, with the older kids, who here actually goes and checks their children's poo? Probably Sebastian, you might. (laughs) Try not to. But I think that's a really important point. We have to ask the parents to go and check, even with the older kids who are constipated, to look in the toilet and look at their poo. And is there a way to actually measure how hard the poo is? Yeah, so there, there's a thing called the Bristol Stool Chart, um, which uh, all of the GPs and paediatricians and, and many families will be aware of because as soon as you search constipation on the internet, that, that will pop up. So the families will have a sense of what is normal and that, that grades from one to seven. And so I always ask the patients that I see, you know, where does your poo fit? And mm-hmm. you know, you're aiming for that nice sort of simple log, so yep. to speak. The sausage four. in the middle, yeah. Yeah. So right. one is the hardest poo, yeah. Yeah. Um, little rabbit pellets, and seven is the softest. Sort of the sloppy sort yeah. of diarrhea-like. Yeah. And so you, so it's really getting a sense of how easy is it to pass that poo and what size of that, that poo is and is it filling up the toilet bowl? Because that's another one of the sort of criteria that we look for that some kids create just a lot of poo. I'm going to see how many times we can mention poo on this podcast. <laughs> the poo cast, that's we're right. calling that's it. That's right. <laughs> It's interesting though, because some parents will say, "So you you think my child's constipated, but poos all the time. Like seems to poo every day. Surely it can't be that." What often can happen is that um, they might be pooing, but they're not really emptying out their bowel or their rectum, the last bit of the bowel, and so they might be going to the toilet and having a small little sort of um, uh, deposit into the toilet, but they're not actually emptying out properly. 
And those kids, particularly if they fill their rectum up with a lot of poo, can often then get overflow yeah. around the side. And that and that can manifest not so much as um, solid bits of poo in the undies um, or more as uh, smears or sort of like runs. Yes. Um, and so people are like, oh, well, they've, they've got diarrhea, but actually the diarrhea is a sort of more an overflow incontinence associated. And that's really hard to know because parents just report or kids, they see streaks on the undies at the end of the day when yeah, they're doing skidders, the washing. Yeah, skid marks. Skid marks. And it's really hard to know whether that is due to loose bowel actions and diarrhea or underlying constipation with leakage around it. Yeah, and the, and bearing in mind for the majority of time, it's just because the child hasn't wiped their bottom properly. Yes. Um, so, you know, if you think about that, that's probably the most likely reason why you've got some... Dodgy-looking undies. Yeah, dodgy-looking undies at the end of a school day. But you know, if that's persisting um, and the child is struggling, you know, throughout the day and, um, you know, weekends as well, then you've got to think about, well, is there something else underlying this? Okay. And so thinking about that, what's happening in the background, what are the reasons then that some children more than others do end up with trouble actually getting all the poo out or doing a decent poo often enough to be healthy? Yeah. So the majority of the time, there's no clear cause, which is frustrating for families. Um, But there's no one thing that says, well, this is why it's happening. But there are some groups where it is more common. So it does run to some degree in families and it does happen more in some of the children who are on the autistic spectrum. And do you think that's because of a withholding behaviour, um, a sensitivity, a fear of using the toilet, or is there something wrong or different about their gut? I think that um, all three things that you mentioned there play a part. Mm -hmm. I also think that their ability for the bowel to push the poo along is not the same as kids without those issues. And you also see it sometimes that their their sensitivity to sound, their sensitivity to touch, you know, all of those things sort of can play a part. So children with underlying conditions like autism but other conditions as well might have a propensity towards constipation, but many, many children who don't have underlying conditions do have constipation. Yes, absolutely. And we treat it the same. Yeah, treat it the same way. And so, um, and then thinking about basic reasons, things like diet. Yep. Um, so families always want to know that the diet that they're giving their child is, is the right one, that it's not causing problems. And in the majority of children, by increasing the fruit and vegetables and increasing their fibre intake will often make an improvement for the child. So Sebastian, while we're talking about diet, what about food intolerances? Because I know that a lot of families I see have tried ruling out different foods thinking this might be the problem. So it's tricky for families because they will often will have been told, oh, well, give the child some prune juice. So prune juice is a, one of the sort of natural laxatives. But there are some components of um, fruits and sugary drinks um, and those with sort of higher fructose uh, components that can make the bowels a little less predictable. So thinking about diet and thinking about um, intolerances is important, yes. but it's but it's it's not as common as perhaps the families might think it will be. So yeah. it's really going to be probably the real cause yes. of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, in my experience, yes. Yeah, and you mentioned before that it can run a little bit in families and absolutely I find when I chat to parents and, and say that, you know, you might find if you think about yourself and your partner that everyone's got a slightly different bowel habit. There's the everyday person and mm. there's the every second day person and then <laughs> yeah. there's people who have always had a bit of trouble and it's a bit like that with kids as well. Yeah, and it's hard because, the you know, if you've got, 
multiple kids in the family and you've got one child who's got that problem, then then it's hard for them because they're sitting there thinking, well, I'm eating and drinking exactly what everybody mm. else is and why is this affecting me? And, um, you know, that, that comes into play in terms of the psychological impact for the families as well. But I think it is important to remember that constipation is so common that just because a parent has long-standing constipation doesn't mean that the child's going to follow that Absolutely. path and that we need to get on and treat them. So we talked a bit about diet. What about other factors that might be causes? So things like um, kids holding on, for example, or avoiding going to the toilet, what role does that have? Yeah, that's that's really important. Um, because often what will have happened is that the kids will have, um, particularly the younger ones, might have done a, a huge poo. Some of them can be pretty big. Yeah, they can be. They can <laughs> I be mean, massive. like tennis ball yeah, size absolutely. and bigger. And even it, bigger. And, and the families will say, kids. how does this? How did that child pass that poo? Where did that come Where from? Where did that come from? Um, and, you know, that can cause trauma. Yes. It can cause trauma um, from the point of view that it can cause tearing around the bottom, around the anus, and uh, that can cause a little bit of bleeding. And it doesn't take a lot of blood in the toilet for it to look like a massacre. Yes. Um, so the families get very worried about that and the child gets worried about that. But if there is a tear of the lining of the anus around the bottom, then that can be very painful. Yeah. And so that makes it difficult for the child who then thinks, well, this is really painful. I don't want to do that again. And so therefore they will go out of their way to try to hold on. And I often say to the families, there are two things that you can't make a three-year-old do. One of them's eat and one of them's poo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if they've had a, a traumatic experience related to sitting on the toilet or on the potty or even into their pull-up, if that's been sore, then they'll often think, okay, well, I don't want to do that again. And so so they'll hold on and that sort of withholding behaviour has the problem of obviously the poo's got to come out at some stage and so it continues to build up uh, in the rectum and above that but it also gives the rectum more time to be able to suck the fluid out of that poo and so all of a sudden the poo that should be like that sausage we talked about mm. before relatively easy to pass is all of a sudden larger and harder and so the natural sort of lubricant that we have within poo that it makes it easy to pass um, is lost by with that withholding behavior. And I think that's where the cycle begins often and particularly at transition times when children are transitioning to solids, um, less fluid intake, they start withholding then the next poo is hard and painful again and the whole cycle starts. So I think it's really important to try and break that cycle. I think the other thing to mention, you mentioned blood or that you might see a little tear, but often they might have a painful poo and you can't see anything. Mm. So it's they will still withhold even though we can't see any no. tears there. And yep. I think that to your point about transition there as well, Lexi, um, thinking about it not just with transition in diet but also transition in environment. So, so if they're going on, you know, they've been fine at home but all of a sudden they're going, you know, starting at a new daycare or a new sort of, you know, long care environment then and with a whole bunch of open plan toilets and a yeah. whole bunch of kids they've <laughs> never right. seen before, then it's not unusual for them to think, well, I'm not going to the toilet, I'm going to hold on. Yep. And plus life's too much fun. They're running around doing yeah. lots of other things. And but I find particularly at school as well when they mm, start prep or where they, when they have to go and use the big kids' toilets where the grade sixes are mm. as well, there's yes. a lot of withholding behaviour. Oh, st- one of my kids still is very proud of the fact that they've never 
done a poo Never. at school. Wow. Because that, <laughs> I think that, you know, school toilets, we've yeah. all got our own memories haunted by That's what right. school toilets are like. And lots of kids do. They they avoid it. And then next thing you know, they're in, onto that cycle that you've described, Sebastian, where, you know, the poo's sitting there a bit longer. It's ending mm. up bigger, harder. And by the time it does come out, it's really going to hurt. Mm, absolutely. So we can change the diet. We can add fluid. We might try prunes or prune juice, which are natural laxatives. But if that's not working, how quickly should we intervene? And what are the you know, medications that we tend to use. So the majority will have um, seen the GP and to give a sense of um, things that they might have done, we, we would have already, you know, as we've already talked about, um, dietary modification and fluids, also thinking about where the child's doing those poos, mm-hmm. um, thinking about the toileting and what's the position, are they, um, how old are they, how tall are they, are they using the grown-up toilet and if they are, have they got a seat within that, have they got a step so their feet are sort of appropriately positioned rather than hanging. I might just interrupt you there, yep. Sebastian, a bit to explain that to parents and why it's important. So before we get on to medications, yep. the positioning and the sitting. Yeah. So um, if you think about you know a three-year-old sitting on an adult toilet, um, their whole body collapses in and they yep. sort of wedge themselves in the toilet. And that, um, yeah, and if you think about as an adult who, when they're, you know, when we're doing a poo, um, the easiest position really is to have your feet planted on the ground and often leaning forward and bearing down, and and you can't do that if you're got leg- a strong visual. Exactly, here. that's right. That's the yeah, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, but if you're but if you're a child who um, has collapsed into the toilet and so their bottom is the lowest yep. point, sitting feet within in the, the air. feet in the air, so they've got no they've got nothing to sort of get anchor uh, anchorage upon, um, and that means that they can't bear down appropriately. That the physics and the dynamics of that is just all wrong, mm, yeah. and so they're straining in a um, uncoordinated fashion, and they're sort of fighting against themselves. Mm, and the tummy muscles are tight, and yeah, they can't. They're, push. they're, work, they're working hard just trying to yeah. desperately not fall into the toilet bowl. <laughs> yeah. um, and I and, think positioning is probably the most underestimated treatment that we can offer. Yes. Really talking about it and reminding them to get that stool out, find an insert. Yeah. And that's why in kindergartens they've got much smaller much toilets. Smaller the toilets, closer yeah. to the ground. And, I, and I, it's interesting because, you know, um, I think that we all grew up with an age where potties were used yes. far more frequently mm. than they are today. I don't yes. know why that is, but certainly... Cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, in terms of being able to sit on a potty where your feet uh, were at the right level, yes. as opposed to for an adult toilet, um, it can be quite overwhelming um, to think about that for the child and say so their position isn't right. So thinking about you know basic things like that, dietary, position, timing, um, using the... Uh, there is a... In the majority of people, there's a well-developed reflex between eating and the bowel wanting to move, Mm -hmm. so the gastrocolic reflex, so taking advantage of that. So again, simple things like if if you want to get some time toileting, then getting the child to go to the toilet after breakfast and after dinner so there is a a pattern to it. And they're much more likely to pass a bowel action Mm. at that time. Yeah, it's just using the natural rhythm that the body has to be able to help you. But then if we're then talking about medications, so the there are sort of, if we think about the simple groups really, you're talking about things that are going to make the bowel, the poos softer and things that are going to push the poo along. Yeah. And some of the medications do a bit of both, mm-hmm. um, but the majority of the time, um, simple 
laxative therapies will be all that is required for the majority of children. So that's so, the softener? Yeah, so if they have a bit of softener yeah. and, and also sometimes a little bit of a lubricant, so something like a paraffin oil-based uh, lubricant, and, and particularly in those children that are doing withholding, that's what I find very helpful um, because it essentially creates an oil slick um, and enables those poos to be able to pass more easily. So even if it is a little bit more hard and rocky, then at least it comes out with a bit of lubricant around it. If you want to bring a bit more um, fluid into the poo than the sort of the macrogol components, these medications are across the board very safe if they're used in the appropriate dosing. They're not going to make the bowel lazy because that's something that families are all very worried about. And I say to the families, look, they need some help at the moment. I can't say how long that's going to be, but even if they're on these medications for six months or 12 months or longer, it doesn't make the bowel lazy. It just means that their bowel needs a little bit of extra help. Um, What about enemas and suppositories? Parents say to me, I just want to help them empty. They're in so much pain. What are your recommendations? Yeah, it's tricky. Most of the families don't like using them and most of the children really don't like using them. And what we're trying to do is create a in an environment in which the child feels comfortable to be able to relax their bowel and empty and get rid of the poo. So there are some circumstances where it's useful, but not for the majority. How long do you really expect that kids are going to need treatment for before things come right? So I think in the majority of children, The important thing is if we start a therapy regimen that we are consistent with it and the families know to be consistent with it over the first two or three months. And I think that um, the majority of children will, within that sort of three to six month period, will improve. I can hear the listeners yelling, three to six months, it's a long time to try and get my child to take medication. Is it really necessary to have it that long? Yeah, that's a great question, Lex. I think that is important in those first two to three months to be consistent with the medications. You know, these families are coming to the GP and then to the paediatrician or to me after months or years of problems, then it doesn't make sense that we're going to be able to undo that over over a short period of time. That might be a good segue into asking you, Sebastian, about obviously you're a surgeon and we've got you here chatting about poo today, but fortunately most of the time kids who have trouble with constipation don't actually need your services. But tell us about the the, um, rarer occasion where you you might need a surgeon, particularly for those parents who are worrying and we we see them, they go, it's got to be something more serious. Yeah. We can reassure families that the vast majority of children with constipation and chronic constipation don't have an underlying surgical cause. And so the patients that I see are the very pointy end of the spectrum. Babies who are born with a funny bottom, so the bottom isn't formed properly. And then a condition called Hirschsprung's disease. And Hirschsprung's disease is where the nerves of the last part of the bowel aren't formed. And that means that the bowel is not able to relax and allow the gas and the poo out. Now, both babies born with an anorectal malformation or a bottom that isn't formed properly and Hirschsprung's disease, these are one in 5,000 conditions. So they're they're rare. Super rare. Great. All right. And so let's get on to a little bit about 
diagnosing constipation, we've talked about some of the signs and symptoms. When do you need a test? Often parents will say, oh, well, isn't there a test you need to do to work out what's really happening The magic here? test. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was. Yeah. The majority of children with simple constipation won't require any investigations. There are some situations where there might be some blood tests done, but the most regularly used investigation will be an abdominal x-ray. The advantage of an abdominal x-ray is that you can look at it, I can look at it, the family can look at it, they can, you can see what the bowel looks like and is it filled with poo. poo. <laughs> um, the only problem is that there are some kids who have constipation who actually don't have a lot of fecal loading, don't have a lot of poo within the colon. And so it's frustrating for families because they will look at the x-ray and the x-ray will be put up by the doctor and they'll say, look, actually, it's not that bad. And the families are there pulling their hair out saying, well, it is because he or she is struggling and doing all these things. So there's not a great amount of um, consistency between what the x-ray shows and what the patient and the family are going through. And that's why I don't tend to use the abdominal x-ray an enormous amount. And there can be poo there that's normal poo. Exactly. That is, you know, just waiting for his turn to come out. And and that might be five minutes later. Yeah. So generally an x-ray is not necessary or recommended as a test for constipation. Okay. Mostly you can diagnose this from a a visit to the doctor and a history and that would get us onto a pathway to treatment. We talked earlier about avoiding the toilet and I think it would be good to chat a bit more about that now in terms of our treatment and approaches to dealing with that because for many parents that's the really frustrating thing. So we say make sure you get them on the toilet after you know they've eaten something, get into some good habits, this is going to help but they just can't get their child to do that. I think it's probably easier now than it's ever been because of our access to electronics. A lot of the children now, as a way of being able to say, right, here is five or ten minutes, you know, you need to go and sit on the toilet. You don't want them sitting there watching a whole Netflix series. Um, (laughs) I think that's an important point, though, Sebastian, because sometimes, uh, you know, as families have got their kids sitting for 20 minutes on the iPad and on the toilet, but they may not really be in there focused on what the business is all about. So the right position and short short amount of time. And so short periods of time. So I say to the families, you know, if 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 they're going to watch something to, as a way of getting onto the toilet, it's more bluey, you know, <laughs> with a sort of three to five minutes as opposed to a long series. And I'd um, often ask them to use the iPad or the, the little segment as a treat yes, or right, reward for incentive. sitting. So the After. child does the sit, yep. tries to push out the poo, pretend to be blowing bubbles or balloon, um, and then as a reward they get to go on yeah. to the iPad. It's very important for families um, to realise there is a psychological overlay to this. Yes. You know, whereas in society there is a sense that poo and wee is dirty and so people don't talk about it in the way that they would talk about other things if the child had heart disease or a yes. fracture or something like yeah. that. And the children you know, pick up on that. And so trying to destigmatize that component is important. But also children will be feeling frustrated as well and they'll be trying. Yeah. You don't want to set up a, a cycle of rewarding children for something that's really sort of outside their control. Because then if they can't control it and they feel like they're letting themselves and the family down, then that sort of just worsens the situation. Um, So I think trying to um, calm the situation, trying to make the the parents and the the child realise that this isn't 
their fault. And the whole pattern of blame can get set up, even though it's not intentional, mm. and, and shame and guilt, and children do all kinds of things. They can be hiding their undies, you know. Yeah, they're hiding behind the couch to go and do it. Yeah, you know, do yeah. Their food. and so that all of that feeds into the difficulties to try and get on top of the problem. But it's important to, you know, just have a consistent message, reward them just for sitting on the toilet at the right time, and then hopefully the result will come and they'll start you know, being able to be toilet trained. Yeah. And so what about timing of toilet training, Sebastian? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's challenging um, because, you know, like all good um, parent groups, there's always one child that toilet trained at three and a half minutes of age and everybody <laughs> else is looking at them thinking, well, why can't my child be like that? But the reality is anything between two and a half and four and a half, really, um, and there's such a broad range and there will be hiccups. Some kids will look like they've toilet trained initially and done really well and then go backwards a little bit. That's fine. Um, I think if you're getting to four, four and a half and you're still struggling with toilet training, then that's then that starts to be you know, play with the mind because you're thinking, well, what are they going to do when they go to school? Um, and so if, if there are still issues at that age, then it, that might be worth seeking some extra guidance um, because it's much better to get um, a sense of that at that age than it is at sort of five and they're, you know, it's September and they're starting school in three months and or four months And particularly with time. those kids treating the constipation um, quite aggressively, so really getting onto it to make sure that it's soft and easy for them to pass a poo, which will make it easier for them to do their sits and toilet training. And, and yes. then you're more likely to have a win when, yes. you, when you tackle yep. the training. But it's not easy. No. And you mentioned they're getting extra support sometimes. And I think for those kids too, who are not necessarily toilet training, but a bit older and have really developed a lot of difficulty with the psychology of using the toilet, that sometimes you do need extra help. So sometimes you might um, find a counsellor or a psychologist who's got some expertise in dealing with this can be helpful. Yeah. And I think that also they can be helpful with the whole family dynamic to remove the blame and the understanding that the families are frustrated by what's been going on. Absolutely. Well, we've talked a lot about poo. We were going <laughs> to keep, keep tabs <laughs> on how many times we can say the word poo, but I know that when kids come in to, to see you about poo and they're kind of looking a bit embarrassing, like I talk about poo all the time, yeah. every day that they sort yeah. of breathe a sigh of relief. Well, my son would be disappointed if I didn't tell you the constipation joke. Go on. Oh, please. Is, have you seen the movie Constipation? No. no. It hasn't come out yet. <laughs> Thank well, you for that one. I, I think we might wrap it. it up there, Sebastian. I think you've peaked. You know, I don't think we yeah, could do better. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> so it's probably all we've got time for as well. So we hope you have learnt something today listening to us talk all about poo and especially what's normal and, you know, what you might try next if you're having some trouble with your kids and constipation. Thanks so much for joining us, Pleasure. Sebastian. Thanks, Sebastian. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your favourite podcast platform and please leave us a review. You can also find more information about constipation through our Kids Health Info webpage and a link will be in our episode notes today. Thanks for joining us. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.